Apple or a smartphone or some device that you'll be looking at the text with us this morning. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, you'll find it at the very end of the New Testament. If you get to Revelation, you've gone a little too far. So, um, kind of our, our MO here is to preach just chapter by chapter through books of Scripture. And so, we started 1 John two weeks ago, and we'll spend the next couple months working our way um, through this letter. First uh, John is what is known as kind of a circular letter, which means that John, writing from Ephesus, has sent this letter to multiple churches in kind of a geographical area. And so if you look at it, you'll notice there isn't um, a specific church that it's sent to because it was meant to be passed along. And the, what had, um, had happened was that there were some false teachers in this area um, who were looking to really push on either the divinity or the humanity of Jesus. And they're, they're, they're knocking him as being sufficient and there's a group that's doing it in regards to his humanity, and there's a group that's doing it in regards to his divinity. And so John is writing a letter really looking to press on assurance for the church. How do, how do they know that what they have been taught and what they have heard is sufficient, that it's true? And, and so he is, it's a very pastoral letter. Um, he does um, speak to the false teachers, but primarily it is a church, it's a letter to from a pastor to a group of people that he loves deeply and dearly. Um, and this morning, growing up in kind of a Bible-saturated area, we understand that assurance is a pretty big deal, um, that, that most of us at some point have struggled with assurance of salvation, right? Whether, whether you have laid awake at night um, thinking, okay, have I prayed the exact right prayer, right? Have I, have I said enough? Have I done enough? Or looking at even the sin that you continue to struggle with and going, okay, you know, what's going on here? Um, th- this morning, we're going to begin to look at assurance. And the, I think for most of us, as, as we look back, maybe where we should even start this morning is, as you look into your past, if you claim to know and walk with Jesus this morning, what is it that you really look back to to kind of anchor you, to give you hope? I think for some... It, it might be the moment you were baptized, right? That you, you remember that moment vividly and you look back and you're like, okay, I'm not feeling very assured today, but I was baptized, so maybe I'm good, right? Or maybe you look back and it's, it's just a family heritage, right? And so parents that were involved in church or grandparents that were involved in church or folks that, that took you, and so you look back at kind of a Christian heritage, Maybe for others, you, you very vividly, um, and this is in only certain denominational churches, you very vividly remember walking an aisle, right? The, the call to move forward, to, um, to speak with a minister. And so you remember, you know, the, the, the fear or the excitement of getting up out of your seat and, and, and walking the aisle. And so you're like, okay, uh, I remember doing that. So obviously the Lord has saved me. Um, or maybe you, you look at it simply and you know a lot of things and you have a pretty good amount of Bible knowledge that if someone was to press on you very much, that you could kind of, you could, you know, you could answer their questions. Or maybe it's that you look around and you're like, okay, if all those people are claiming to be Christians, I got to be one, right? That, it, that, it's, that it's almost just a comparison of, man, I, I, I'm struggling a little bit, if, but if they're still confident in saying they're a believer, then I got to be one. 
And yet, we all know, we've all felt that any of those things is, is not enough to assure us. That, it, that if we're really honest, that all of those are, can be evidences of things the Lord has done. They can be tools that the, the church has provided for us to express our fa- the fact that Jesus has rescued us and made us his. But those in and of themselves are not things that, that give us hope. They're not things that give us assurance. They're markers, but they're not necessarily markers of salvation. And yet, right, we long for it. We want assurance. And John, I want you to listen to what he writes even in 1 John 5. Here's what he says in verse 13, if you turn over. So he goes, I write these things, meaning this letter. I write these things to you to believe in the name of of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, right? So he's telling them the purpose of this letter is that you'll have assurance. And so the first couple weeks that we've been in this letter, it's, it's been a little more general. And this morning, we're going to begin to get into some specifics, and he's going to begin to lay out some kind of criteria or application or test, whatever word you want to use here, for how we can begin to examine ourselves and examine what's going on in our life to see if assurance springs forth or not. That there are things that we can see and know and do that will let us know if we're walking with Jesus or not. Like whether we should have assurance of salvation or not. This is, so maybe this morning you're thinking, hey, I, I, I know I'm good there. Like the Lord has assured me. Well, we live in an area though where pretty much every person you meet is going to tell you they love Jesus or they at least know Jesus. And their lives may, live, be, may be lived completely contrary to that, right? And, and so then they, they point back to one of those markers that we gave a second ago is that's the assurance of their salvation. And John this morning is going to say that's not sufficient, right? That we can have assurance, but what we have assurance in matters and that not everyone who claims to be walking with Jesus is. So this is relevant for our own assurance, but it's also relevant to us in how we deal with those who would claim to be walking with Jesus, and yet their lives would betray them, right? That they actually aren't. And so John is going to spend much of the rest of his letter laying out kind of three, three tests. One of them is going to be a moral test, right? And he's going to talk about it in regards to obedience to God. A second one he's going to lay out is kind of a social test. Do we love people? And the third is going to be a doctrinal test. Do we believe the right things about the right person, meaning Jesus? So this morning, we're going to begin to look at the first two, the moral test and the social test. All right? And so let's pick up in First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. And by this... We know that we have come to know him, meaning Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says we, he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, But an old commandment that you have had from the beginning, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. 
which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we're going to look here at the first test, which is really found in verses 3 through 6. It's, it's the moral test. He's, he's going to say, hey, one of the ways we can have assurance is simply looking at the obedience or the lack of obedience in our life. And so listen to what he says about believers. By this, we know that we have come to know him. So this is, that's salvation, right? That we know Jesus. If, in verse 3, we keep his commandments. Right, so he says, okay, we can have assurance if we keep his commandments. If you go down to verse 5, and whoever keeps his word, meaning scripture, in him truly the love of God is perfected, and by this we may know that we are in him. All right, so we keep his commandments, we know him. If we keep his word, we're in him. And then verse 6, and whoever says that he abides, he remains in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he's walked. So he says, look, we, we keep his commandments, right? And we're in him, and we walk as an, as, as an imitation of him. But remember, there's false teachers here who are working in the church as well. And so he mentions one. We looked at three things they mentioned last week, but look at verse 4. He says, but whoever says, so now he's talking about the false teachers, I know him, in quotations there, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth isn't in him. And so he's laying out kind of a comparison and a contrast here of the one who is keeping his commandments and the one who isn't. Because they're both claiming the same thing. They're both saying, I know Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I walk with Jesus. And yet one's life is betraying them and one's life is affirming. I think it's important before we go much further this morning to, to note this um, he's already reminded us in the, in the last couple weeks in the, as we began First John that, that it's, we're not looking to earn salvation in this. He is writing to the church. He is writing to believers. He's not saying, hey, so if you do these things, you will somehow, you'll somehow please God and thus he'll give you the gift of salvation. He's saying we keep his commandments as evidence that we've been rescued. He's already told us, like, like when you sin, because you're going to continue to sin, right? He's like, we have an advocate before us, one who is, who, who is vouching for us. And it's by his blood that we are forgiven and that we are cleansed. When we confess our sins and repent, that he rescues us. So he's, he's saying, look, you're in need of a rescuer and of a, of a savior, and he has given you the gift of salvation. But how do you know that you have it? It's going to be based on how you live and how you walk. And we can see how this could be twisted into to legalism into saying, okay, because I live this way, God owes me this. What he's saying is because you needed this, it's been given. And if you're walking with Jesus in an authentic way, you're going to look like him. You're going to live like him. You're going to keep his commandments. So it's not a call to salvation, but it's evidence of. Because listen, Anyone can claim anything, right? Like words in this manner don't mean a lot, right? 
we, we see that in society right now that people just, like, they just claim, like, they're not the age they are, right? Like, they're just like, I don't, I'm not 37, I'm 18, right? And you're just like, like anyone can claim anything. They, they can claim to throw 100 miles an hour, right? They can claim to cook the best chicken fried steak you've ever eaten. They can claim to know some famous celebrity. And what is our response to all of that? Prove it. You say you can throw 100? Show me. You say you cook the best chicken fried steak? I'll be the judge of that, right? <laughs> like, cook it for me, right? So, like, that we can claim whatever we want to claim. The, the evidence is in the proof, right? It's not in our verbal claim. It's in the actual evidence of it. So, this morning, we know that, that relationships are affected by assurance, right? The kids are often, they're not, we don't look at our kids and say, hey, I told you I loved you once, right? Like our, our kids want continued affirmation of our affection for them. They want it. Like they want to they have it. That we've seen adult relationships break because of a lack of, of affirmation or evidence. That we're like, hey, I, I love you, and then nothing shows it, nothing reveals it. And so the relationship is broken over the lack of proof. And so this morning, if a dude walked in and he was six foot ten, athletic, and says, I can dunk a basketball. And then a dude walks in right behind him, and he's five foot five, and he says, I can dunk a basketball. You may or may not ask the six foot ten to, you're like, okay, it's a given, right? You don't even have to jump, right? You just like, we, we believe you. The five foot five guy walks in, right, and he goes, I can dunk, and you're like, yeah, I don't think so, right? You're going to have to show it. This is what John's talking about, right? That, that this, when someone looks at us and we say, I love Jesus, are they looking at us like the six foot ten guy going, yeah, that, that makes sense that you could dunk a basketball. It makes sense that you would claim that you love Jesus because your life looks like Jesus. Or are you the, the five foot five guy walking in going, I can dunk, and everyone's like going, easiest money I'll ever make, right? Because there's no way you do. Right? There's no way. When, when you claim that you love Jesus, that you know Jesus, that you're walking with Jesus, are people going, yeah, it makes sense. Whereas the claim, really? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think so. And so, remember, John is not here saying it, this is a matter of like sinless perfection. But it's what are we mostly characterized by? Right? When someone most regularly looks at us, because the fact is, is Carmen could stand up here and tell you how I've sinned against her and the kids this week. Right? And, and so the, it's not sinless perfection, but it's what are we characterized by? Do we look mostly like Jesus? Are we mostly pursuing him? Or is it that, yeah, we occasionally do something that is Jesus-ish, right? But mostly we're characterized by a lack of love, a lack of keeping his commandments, a lack of knowing him, that people would be like, I just don't think that God knows Jesus. And so when he says that we can know him, knowing means like depth. It means intimacy, right? It, it, it means relationship. Because when you say that you know a celebrity, and what you mean is you've read their Wikipedia page, no one's impressed, right? 
because you know some information about them. You know some facts about them. But when you say you know them, and you've got their cell phone number, and you interact, and you go on vacation with them, it's like, oh, that's more impressive. Like, you actually know them. And so what John is calling us to is he's like, look, knowing Jesus isn't that you can pass a Bible test. It's that you're walking with Jesus. It's that you have a relationship with him, that he knows you and that you know him. That you know, that you not just know of or know about. Let me give you an example of this. I want you to imagine, um, right, like we, we can learn from books, obviously, right, obviously. And you could read all the war books that you want. But until you've been shot at in battle, do you really know that much about war? Right? Like the, the guy who has is going to say, yeah, I, I appreciate that you're a historian. I appreciate that you love this. I appreciate that you've read and, and you've acquired all the information you can, but you don't know what it's like. Right? Or we can read about what it's like for a minority to have an experience in a majority culture. And we can read and we can, we can feel and we can think and we can write, but until you've gone and been a minority in another culture... It, it's hard for you to really put yourself in the, their shoes, right? Like, Carmen and I, we read as much as we could about what it was like to live in Yemen. And then we went and lived in Yemen, and it wasn't what we read about, right? It, it was a lot different to, to look around and go, no one, no one speaks the language I speak. And almost no one believes what I believe in any regard about America, about Jesus, right? About Paul, I mean, it was just like, we... We think and feel and look different. And so, it, books helped, but the experience is what really defines it. And so we understand that our, our actions and our deeds, they're either confirming what we claim or they're referring to us as a liar. So John is saying, look, if you want to say that you know Jesus, the obedience that you have either confirms it or it denies it and it makes you look like a fool and a liar. And the obedience to what we're called to here is in Christ, right? It's into Jesus revealed. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I love what's going on here is that the assurance that John is, is calling us to isn't based on experience. He's not saying until you've had these spiritual experiences, right, that you know Jesus. Or until you know this many answers about Jesus. He's like, are you in relationship with him? As revealed in Scripture, as the historical Jesus, do we know him? And so this isn't an issue of, of, of being sentimental towards Jesus. This isn't an issue of being able to say, I recognize that as being Christian. This isn't having some mystical experience where I'm like, I think God or something spoke to me, right? Because that's what the false teachers are claiming. They're like, I had an experience, you wouldn't understand it. I know God, you don't. Or you wish you could know God like I do. John is saying, no, no, no. It's, it's the same for all of us. In the commands that have been revealed in the life of Jesus, the historical one who walked and was eternity divinity in the flesh if you're obeying and knowing that man salvation is yours because it's been given to you 
and we don't get to claim some private knowledge or private experience. And so ultimately what John is calling us to is he's saying, I just want you to be obedient. And so one of the kind of the, the phrases that we throw around at Redeemer a lot is this, is, is obedience over activity. That it's really easy for us to get busy with spiritual looking things or spiritual sounding things or spiritual seeming things. And we're not actually following Jesus. We're not actually obeying him. That he's called us to love our neighbor. Right? He's called us to pursue him. And we're like, I did six Bible studies this week. And I read 14 other books. Did you love anyone? No, but I read books. Right? And look, I'm not, not, I read a lot of books. And I do a lot of spiritual looking things. And, and I have to ask myself this question all the time. But am I pursuing Jesus? Am I obeying what he's called me to? Am I doing what he's asked me to do? Why does this matter? Because in Matthew 7, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, verse 21, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name, and we did many mighty works in your name. And then... I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What they're claiming is activity over relationship. They're saying, look, look at all the spiritual stuff we did. And he's saying, but I didn't know you. You knew of me. You knew about me. You were doing things that you claimed were for me, but we didn't know each other. And so what we need is personal relationship, and our obedience to it is indicative of that. Paul writes a similar thing. This is in Titus 1.16. He says, listen, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works, and they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Right? That our claim of knowing Jesus is not sufficient. That our lives begin to show the fruit and the evidence of this. Matthew 7 shows us it's not even just externally what others could pick up on, but it's our motivation. Why do we do the things we do? Is it to know, to please, to enjoy God because we're in relationship with Him, we know Him, we want to? Or is it like I'm trying to fool you? Because I can fool you and you can fool me. And we then stand before the gates of heaven someday and He says, depart from me because I don't know you. But we convinced a bunch of people that we knew Him. That our, that our motivation matters and our obedience matters. The second test is this, beginning in verse 7, is the social test. Is do we love? So he says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. And so what, what he's doing here is this, is he's taking one command that God has given us, just one, and kind of giving a case study here, and saying, let's, so let's see if you're obeying it. Let's see if you're actually doing what it is that this command would call you to. And we see the pastoral care. Like he says, like, beloved, dear children, I'm writing to you. But listen, he says, it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. And then in verse 8, the very next verse, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. And so it seems like he's contradicting himself here. Is it an old commandment or is it a new commandment? In Leviticus 19, verse 18... 
Old Testament, we hear this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we, we know that God has been calling his people to love their neighbors forever, right? Like that, that's just, it's an old commandment. But if we turn over to John, not 1 John, but John 13, 34. Listen to what Jesus says to the disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, are you also to love one another. So here's, why is he saying it's an old one? It's not old, it's new, it's not new, it's old. Like, what, what's going on here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm not giving you something new. The heretics, the false teachers are saying that. They're saying, we have something new for you. John is saying, look, you've heard this from the beginning, that you're supposed to love each other. From the moment you were a believer, you've heard this. And not only that, but it's what God has been teaching forever. It's an old commandment. You know this. But here, there's something new about it. It's that Jesus says, I don't want you just to love. I want you to love like I've loved. That our model, our example for how we're to love one another is not based on us. It's based on Jesus and how he's loved the worst. His enemies. Sinners. How he pursued was serving and self-sacrificial. How his love was transformative. How it was persevering. How it was long-suffering. He's like, the way that you love is, is new because I've come and you're, I'm leaving my spirit with you. I'm empowering you to be able to love in this way. So you've heard the call to love. And the false teachers, um, the, the Gnostics, for the most part, felt like they were superior. They were claiming knowledge and experience over others. And they're saying, I'm better than you. And so John is saying, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How can you claim to love God and then hate your brothers and sisters in Christ? He's like, at this, in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light, which is like walking in Christ, and hates his brother is actually still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So he's saying, look, if you say you are walking with Christ and you hate your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're a liar and you're walking in darkness. Because we've been given an example in Christ of how we're supposed to love one another. He's like, so if we love each other, again, you can have some assurance that you're walking in Christ, that, that salvation is yours. Because our, our, our normal bent isn't to love people, right? We love those who are most like us, who will get something for us, who will do something for us, but our, our, our tendency is not to be self-sacrificing, it's to be self-congratulatory. It's, it's to draw attention to ourselves and to get what we can and to use people. And it may appear like love, but as soon as you're not useful to me, I'm not going to love you anymore. And so it's why marriage is this beautiful picture of the gospel to the world. Because it's two people saying, hey, I know you're junk. And I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to pursue you. I'm still going to like care for you, even though you've hurt me and I've hurt you. We're going to continue to work through it because we're being transformed and changed. 
because it's the way that God has loved us, that he demonstrated his love for us at our worst when we were rebels and sinners. And so Jesus has modeled it for us. And he's asked some pretty important questions. So see, this is one of those reasons we have to be in the word and know what God's intent for us is. Because Jesus has said a couple things. Who's our neighbor? Well, it's not based on ethnicity, and it's not based on past, and it's not based on social status. He says it's, it's everybody. And, and not only that, but in Matthew 5, Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies. Because he says even like pagans love those who will do good to them. And he's like, we're called to love our enemies. And so the love that he's calling us to is huge and it's hard and it doesn't look like the world it's not simply like I'm nice to you when I see you it's love that serves and pursues encourages and challenges it is self selfless and self-sacrificing and so we live in the current present age which is darkness and yet the light has come and it has entered And we are now called to reflect his light in a dark place. He's saying like we are an example to a world that needs hope and needs light and needs to be able to see and not be stumbling around. And so he tells his disciples, the world will know you based on your love for one another. How you care for one another. The darkness will not overcome the light. We currently live still in the presence of sin, but the light has come and the light will win. Because the light is returning for us. And he's going to break into history again. And everyone will see that the darkness has lost because the light is here and is here forever to stay. And so in the meantime, we are to be reflecting that hope and that peace and that stability and that glory to the world around us. And we live in a culture right now that hates well. Like, that it looks, is looking to divide over anything and everything. Like, if we, if we don't agree about the minutiae, I hate you, right? And I'm going to yell at you online. And, and, and we're willing to divide on almost anything, and, and it feels like we're being encouraged to do that. And what Jesus is saying to us, what John is writing to us is this, that we are to reflect the light. We are to pursue those who are far from us. We are to look like Jesus, which means that we're going to be mocked and humiliated the people are going to call us weak. The people are going to say that we're, we're, we're not for them. And as we accept it, and as we walk in love with them and for one another, that light begins to shine into darkness. That we can begin to have hope and assurance that we know Jesus because we're obeying him. Because we're loving people that aren't easy to love because we can't do that without him. That's the point, is that we can't love each other without the Spirit doing that through us, transforming us. Listen, I can claim to love Carmen all day long, but if in my life I'm constantly berating her, putting her down, mocking her, abusing her verbally, if I'm not attentive to her, my, my claims of love mean nothing because my life is revealing what's true. And we've all seen the, the sad 
like broken relationships where, where someone claims, yeah, I'm father or I'm grandfather or I'm brother or I'm this, and their life would say, yeah, you have the title, but you don't live that. The relationship is broken and it's not healthy. Church, this morning, the way that we obey or don't, it either affirms what we claim or we look like bogus imposters. And again, this is not a call to perfection. It's not, a, it's not saying that you can't stumble. But even in that, even in that, is it hardness? Or don't tell me, don't judge me, don't talk to me like that. Or is it broken repentance? I want to please him. And, I, and I've, I've fallen short and I've failed, but I have hope in Christ. I have approval in Christ. And I'm going to confess this and I'm going to repent of it and I'm going to walk in the righteousness that I've been given. Not everyone is walking with Jesus, regardless of what they claim. John says there's two groups. And it's not a one-time event where we look back and say, in that moment, I chose Jesus, and now I can live how I want. That is cheap grace. It's offensive. It's like saying, Carmen, I married you. I can do what I want now and expecting her to be okay with the relationship. Walking with is a consistent moving forward of being transformed and, and, and affected over the long haul, over time. Of not these big moments, but all these little moments where Jesus is just chipping away and transforming and changing. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I'm different. Let me give you just a quick example of this and we'll finish. Um, they'll say, especially in student ministry, that, that students often begin to resemble the demeanor or the attitude of their, their student minister. And so I did not, when I was doing student ministry, I didn't like walk around saying, hey, be like me, talk like me, think like me. Um, that's, that would be weird. But we were at camp one year, and we had a group of like 100 students there, and we're in a room full of several thousand students. And the band comes out for worship, you know, and they hit the first note, and everyone like loses their mind. They're screaming and yelling, and they're running the stage like it's like we're at a concert or something. And like my demeanor in those situations, I'm gonna keep my my seat because I'm like that's I'm not I'm not gonna feed into that. And so I just kind of I'm like okay whatever, and I look, and like a hundred students with us are all sitting there with their arms crossed, and I'm like oh man like. Uh, They may have picked up on something, right? And, and like, I, I wasn't sitting there going, sit down, sit down, don't stand up, right? But they, they, had, they were picking up on something from the person they were following because they were walking through life with me. If we're walking through life with Jesus, we are being transformed. And there are occasionally these moments where we look and we're like, oh, that's not how I would have handled that a year ago. Man, that's cool. And you had no clue until the moment happens. And then you realize Jesus is really transforming me. That's what John is saying. He's like, we can have hope and we can have assurance that if we're keeping his commandments and if we're loving one another, then we are walking with Jesus. And he is going to be changing us and transforming us for his glory and for his name. So this, this morning, here's how we're going to end. It is not a small thing 
to reassess your relationship with Jesus? Am I working for him or am I working with him? Am I doing things and he would actually claim I don't know you or am I in relationship with him and so I'm obeying him because I love him? Right, like those, those waters can get muddy and cloudy. And so this morning, we just, as we enter into Paul's going to, or sorry, John's going to continue to lay out some criteria, and we're going to continue to walk through just this sense of assurance, that this morning that we would start. And so as the band is going to come back up, and we're going to have another time of worship, there'll be some folks in the back of the room that will be glad to pray with you. But we're just going to sit for a moment, and, and would we be bold enough to ask the Lord, like, the things that I'm doing... Are they for you because I love you and know you and enjoy you? Or is it really so that I can impress everyone else in the room into thinking that I know you? Like, ask him for that hope and that assurance. This is not, again, if sin comes to mind that you're like, well, I couldn't know him. But is your heart soft towards him? Are you repentant? Do you enjoy him? Ask, consider, and let the Spirit minister to you this morning. Would we do that as we move into this week, as we spend time in John, that we could have assurance that isn't based on walking an aisle or having prayed the right words, but in the fact that we walk with Jesus because he's rescued us. Let's pray. Father, this morning...